Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. You are now tuned into Almost 30 Podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another week at Almost 30. This is year seven of this joining with the two of us, just kind of sharing our curiosities, our learnings, what we're going through, and hopefully helping you along the way. I'm Lindsay, and this is Krista. We're actual best friends. True life. True life best friends. I'm kind of pissed that we didn't start the show in the era of like Ricky Lake, Maury, kind of that vibe of just being able to bring in kind of that feud energy at times. I know. I I wish I was less conscious so I could like talk more shit and just like gossip and like talk about pop culture and not that I'm like better than, but it's like example, I was watching, I've been obsessed with Great British Bake Off. And so I've been watching it. And every time I'm watching, I'm like, oh my God, you're self-sabotaging because you don't believe that, you know what I mean? You just watch people... Like there was this really good baker that was crushing it, but he was every time he'd be like, and now I'm going to fail and now I'm going to fail. And then kind of self-fulfilling prophecy eventually like self-sabotage so much because he couldn't have enough self-worth to believe that he would actually win. So he self-sabotaged to keep himself safe. It's just crazy. You're like, when you watch things as like a more conscious person, or even if you've been in therapy, you can see patterns that people are in and you're just like, Mm -hmm. whoa. And sometimes even with the gossip stuff, like my brain, it's so annoying. I can't just take a lane and go with it and be like, oh man, she's so fucked up. And like, she totally broke his heart. I'd be like, well, I actually kind of understand because like he, you know, like if he grew up in a broken household and like, I'm sure he just doesn't know how to treat a woman, you know, it's like 100%. Like, well, was she emotionally available for him? Was she, you know what I mean? I'm just... A hundred percent. I'm always like <laughs> defending the person that people are not or people are like talking about. I'm like, well, what about this is a good point. It's like, yeah, I agree. There is that part of me. And I remember we did we were guests on a podcast years ago, so long ago, and they did listener questions and they would give advice. And I was like the worst at it because I was like, I don't really know their path. You know, I'm not in their <laughs> shoes. I'd have to walk a mile in their shoes before I said this. And I couldn't even give good advice because I couldn't like Mm-hmm. allow myself to think that I would know best for them or that I know better than them. And so it was just like kind of stupid because she was someone that was like, no, you should definitely, you know, lick Break the tip. Up with him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. He's definitely cheating. He's definitely <laughs> cheating, sis. <laughs> and I was like, well, we don't know that. I was like, I was like Byron Katie it. I was like, what is true? Yeah. What is that? What do we actually? Yeah. What is true. absolutely true? <laughs> Which is funny because I was going through just like a little mental conversation of just frustration with impatience in my life with my success and I was talking to a friend of ours and like she was like doing Byron Katie to me and I was like sis I don't need this I don't want to know what's true right now (laughs) I want to be with let me bitch what let me bitch just let me say whatever let me let the part of me that wants to speak and be heard speak and be heard I don't need to be coached right now please stop I know I think a great way to start that convo is like 
hey, I just want a bitch. Are you available? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I don't need to hear. I don't. You don't need to fix it. I just need to bitch. You're good. I mean, you always meet me at the bitch because, and you'll meet me wherever. But it's like I just also too with my friends. I trust them that they mm-hmm. will figure it out, and yeah. so I'm not needed to coach or I can. But that's not where I'm best served. Like I'm best exactly. served meeting you where you are and trusting you that you're going to figure it out and learn on your own. So it's amazing to be friends with people that are like healers, teachers, and psychics and all that. It's mostly the best 95% of the time. And then sometimes it's like, hey, man, don't send me a link to your course. <laughs> I literally, I'm never going to watch it. Okay. And sometimes that route of allowing your friends to go through what they're going through and just be there and hold space and whatever, but not needing to fix it or give any advice is sometimes taken as not caring. Like I've experienced that, I think, with with friends who are really swept into whatever they're experiencing. And so I've had to battle with that inner part of me that's like, am I being a good friend? And I'm like, no, I'm being a fucking great friend. Not a good friend, like a good friend does not try to impose what they would do or what they think is right. It's like allowing the process. I don't know. A hundred percent. It's just trusting them enough in their sovereign journey that I don't know what is best for them and I trust that they will figure it out. I'm no longer friends with people that continuously are like, well, do you want my, you know, giving advice or like, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to give you advice and I'm going to, you know, tell you what to do or what I would do. It's like, you know. Also too, it's like, hey babe, I'm doing my work. I'm on my path. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting every thing that comes up when it comes up. I'm not avoiding. I'm not distracting. I'm I'm there with it. So it's like, trust that I will do the work to figure out what I need to figure out. I don't really need someone to be like, let me be your mirror. Shut the door. <laughs> Anyways, not sure how we got on this. Yeah. I need to loosen. Yeah. I need to relax my pelvic floor as yeah, we're talking literally. about this. Jaws tight. Pelvic floor. Jaws. Oh, my gosh. My jaw has been. I've been actually really doing a lot of work self-massage on my jaw because I got Botox in my masseters years ago, and I actually really regret it. Anyone that's done that. If it works for you, great. For me, I really regret it because it softened my jawline. So it made my jawline like a lot softer rather than Mm. more defined. Because what happens is the tension has to go somewhere. So my neck was overcompensating and there was areas around the area that were paralyzed that were overcompensating. So I actually don't really recommend it, but I do have a really tight, tense jawline. And I learned, I think it was through you from this episode, that it's connected to your pelvic floor. And so I've been consciously every single night before bed when I lay, I'm like, relaxing my pelvic floor, relaxing my cervix, just like kind of relaxing every muscle with concerted attention in my body. And it's felt so nice to relax your cervix and your pelvic floor. It's like amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very nuanced connection. And just in like pregnancy, I've been learning more about like that area and how important it is for that to be as relaxed as possible, obviously during birth, you can imagine why, but what contributes to it. So it's like fear, you know, the reaction to pain, the tensing, like you said, the jaw is directly connected. Yeah, there's just so much there. And if we think about it, you know, that is the root of our body, like that area. So 
in this conversation with Dr. Sonia, which is so good. I'm so thankful that she came on the show. She is incredibly clear and thorough and an expert. And I literally loved listening to her and learned so much. But we do bring in more of the energetics as well as the tactical and like the medical and physical part of this because that area of our body, if we have certain traumas or experiences, say even we moved around a lot when we were a child, you know, that feeling of not being at home, rooted, safe, knowing where you're going to be in the next year or feeling like, am I going to have to say goodbye to my friends again? It's like that safety feeling. It's that just like very rooted, rooted energy. And so if that's been rocked, there might be some issues in that part of your body. So it's just really interesting to connect all of that. But Dr. Sonia's incredible. Uh, she has the book, The Dr. Sonia's Guide to Navigating Pelvic Pain. And she is really a leader in the field of pelvic pain and treats the whole body, which I really appreciate. You know, I think sometimes in Western medicine, you know, it feels like few and far between that people are treating the whole body, the emotional body, the energetic body, and the physical body. So her practice really encompasses all, and she treats conditions like endometriosis and uterine fibroids and menopause and pelvic inflammatory disease, cysts in your ovaries, painful sex. A lot of you suffer with painful sex and suffer quietly. So we talk a lot about that and how we can do various exercises to improve our pleasure during sex and so many tactical ways that we can be improving the health of our pelvic floor, like how we're sitting. A lot of us sit like in a C curve where like we collapse our lower back a little bit, maybe we're hunched just slightly and it's creating this cradle in that part of the body. And so can we stack like our hips and our shoulders on top of one another? And almost it feels like a hyperextension because we're not used to it, but sitting, it, how we sit is really important, what we're sitting on. She was recommending, and I just got one, like a big exercise ball to be sitting on during the day, being able to move the hips and being able to kind of have that support. We talk about how to pee properly, pee and pooping. A lot of people are pushing and you should not be pushing at all. That is causing a lot of tension in your pelvic floor. And there's actually a really cool way you can breathe, breathe on the toilet that actually allows all of that function, that digestive function to work much better. We talk about pregnancy, we talk about sex, we talk about our anatomy a little bit because like I kind of need a refresher. I'm like, 100%. okay, so what's that and what's that connected to? A refresher. I need to be taught for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like calling my vulva a totally different thing. I don't even know. It was very weird. Vulva's outside? Yeah, vulva's outside. I thought the clitoris was the vulva <laughs> and I do this with the perineum. I think it's perineum, but I say perineum. <laughs> what do they, the gays call it? Like the rosebud or something? They call it like oh, the rosebud. Oh, that makes sense. It kind of looks like that. I'm headed into territory and pregnancy where we're going to start massaging it. Yay. But anyway, it was just, it's such a well-rounded dynamic conversation about this part of the body and its connection to so many different things and how we can really, yeah, become more informed and in our everyday practices tend to the health of our pelvic floor. 
Yeah, and for all my spiritual girlies, so the pelvic floor at the root is related to that root chakra, which is the mulandara, and it's really associated with feeling safe. So it's like, how safe do we feel? How surrendered are we able to be? It's when our needs are met, our basic needs, whether it's safety, having shelter, enough food to eat, how we cleanse our bodies, it's having enough money at that root. For me, it's also been related to like sexual trauma. So like how can you have and feel safe in your body if that root doesn't feel grounded or safe? So it's like safety and security on the earthly journey. And a lot of people get stuck in that root. I notice a lot of men in the world get really stuck in the root chakra. So that's why they go to sex as like the number one way to connect because they're so stuck in the root chakra as the only way to connect. And they haven't moved their energy up their chakra system to really understand that you can connect from a deeper place in the heart or even from your psychic center. So it's very important from a spiritual perspective to really get this right physically. And you'll notice changes in your life, both mentally and emotionally and spiritually. So it's a really powerful thing to be doing, not only the physical work, but the spiritual work with this as well. Absolutely. So thank you, Dr. Sonia. You can learn more about her practices, services, her book, everything else at pelvicpaindoc.com. And she is also on Instagram at pelvicpaindoc. It's a great follow. But thank you for listening. So appreciative of your listenership every single week. Be sure to subscribe to Almost 30. It's really important because then we will have new episodes every week in your little pod inbox. And if you want to learn more about Almost 30, head to almost30.com. We have courses and programs like the Sacredness of Being Single and the Life Edit, the Invitation, which is a breakup workshop. I know a lot of you out there might be going through a breakup in friendship or romantic. We have the Law of One. And then we also have our membership, which is a place where if you're someone who's looking for accountability, community, fun, resources to just remain centered on your path, we got you. It's a really beautiful, unique place where we have workshops and live hangs and resources abound for you. So go to almost30.com slash membership. Yeah. Send this episode to anyone with a pelvic floor, which is both men and women. Send it Mm -hmm. to everyone in your life. (laughs) It's how we've grown. It means a lot. Appreciate you so much. Almost 30 Nation. We love you. Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Enjoy this. We'll see you on the other side. I am juggling quite a bit lately. I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how 
passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets, whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L-threonate. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. Okay. Small daily actions. They just make a big difference. And I just cannot emphasize this enough. It creates this cascade effect and honestly a snowball effect. (laughs) So one begets the next really great positive small action, but it almost has like a bigger impact as the day, as the week goes on. Um, And I'm just someone who very much believes in this, whether you're like smiling at a stranger, or maybe you wake up a little bit earlier to practice your meditation or or maybe read part of the book that you're loving, uh, or maybe you integrate a healthy habit like taking a probiotic, which is something that I've been doing for a few years now. I've been taking Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic, and I love it. And I've just noticed that this is the catalyst at the beginning of the day for a ton of healthy choices that I make. Um, And I've noticed a difference when I don't take it. Um, I forgot on vacation a few months ago and I noticed a difference. I was bloated. I wasn't as regular. I started to get a little breakout on my chin. Things were just going haywire. Um, so I'm just so thankful for seed. If you are someone who wants to support your gut or your skin digestion, your gut barrier integrity, oh, I recommend seed their DSO-1 daily symbiotic is incredible. What is different about Seed? So Seed's patented capsule and capsule design is so unique. It basically means that the fragile bacteria within the capsule can survive the journey. So from like shipping to your door to when you put it in your body all the way through your GI tract, um, all without synthetic or chemical coatings. Um, and this was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics in the microbiome. They are the best in the space. Um, 
So I just, I trust them and I've experienced incredible results. So trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash almost and use the code 25almost to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash almost. The code is 25almost. Well, I'm so excited that you're here. <laughs> I was like, I get to interview Dr. Sonia. <laughs> I am so excited. It's an honor for me, to be honest. I'm like, I don't like to be too fangirly, but you know, I am a fan. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, we're we're a fan of yours as well. And it feels very relevant for where I am at in my life, being pregnant and just preparing that part of my body mm-hmm. in ways that I had no idea were so important, not only for birth, but for life and activities postpartum. And now learning that this part of our bodies has been completely neglected in a way by women and how we can be just more conscious and connected to our pelvic floor and why it's so important. So I'm learning as everyone listening is learning. (laughs) But I'm always so curious, especially when you have a specialty like yours, how you came to this specialty, because I can imagine you started out a bit more broadly, but what was it about this work that drew you to it? Yeah. When I was training, I would see women, both pregnant and non-pregnant, because we would do GYN as well. And they would often say, I had a little bit of pain with intercourse. And More often than not, this was always like, you're fine, have a glass of wine or like use some lubricants. And it was always one of those symptoms Mm. that was kind of just brushed under the rug and it's continued on for something else. And then I found that, interestingly enough, a lot of women would be kind of ping pong from doctor to doctor. So they would say, oh, and in addition, I'm getting recurrent UTIs. And they're like, oh, okay, we're going to send you to urology. People were seeking answers, but not really getting them. So it's kind of like, I wanted to approach this field from a more holistic point of view, to look at the body as a whole, as opposed to just different parts that are not connected. And the pelvic floor is one of the biggest aspects of our body that, like you said, is often neglected, but controls our bowel, our bladder, intercourse, carrying, everything. And so I think when, as a society, when we start to place focus on this and be more intentional about it, we can actually treat patients more holistically. Yeah. As I was starting to do my research, like as I embarked on this pregnancy journey, I couldn't help but think about that part of the body and the energetic map of our body with the chakras and everything like that. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but it was just such an interesting connection for me, that root chakra, Mm -hmm. that area and feeling of safety, of home, of stability, of rootedness, of groundedness. And how that, for so many reasons, for women in particular, can be disturbed and feel unstable and they might not even realize that connection. I was thinking about that a lot, but I think a lot of people out there, including myself, when I first started learning about this, I was like, so what? Like, where's my pelvic floor? (laughs) What's it feel like? What exactly does it include? Because... For me, it's helpful to have kind of that visual and the feeling connection. Yes. And I love that because even when I'm talking to patients, I'm always like, there's a mind-body connection there. And I'm sure we'll go into a little bit more with that. 
even on the more like scientific aspect of it because it's so interesting. But our pelvic floors are basically the muscles. And I think of it like a girdle that coalesces in the back and the lower abdomen and controls mm -hmm. our bladders, our bowels, our uteruses, and it hangs like a slope. And so this area is often controls stuff where you wouldn't even realize it. So like the bladder contracts, the pelvic floor will often spasm. So you don't completely empty. So a lot of patients will say, why am I going to the bathroom so frequently? I must have a UTI. But no, it can actually be a dysfunction of the pelvic floor that we don't even realize. Wow. Okay. So the dysfunction, I suppose, is it? So it's a muscle. It's muscles. It's many muscles. Many muscles. So oftentimes we call it what's called the levator complex. So okay. it's composed of probably around 15 to 20 different muscles in that area. Okay. And it actually attaches to our lower spine. So our posture can be controlled differently with how our pelvic floors are stabilized. Mm -hmm. It actually controls our lower abdomen. So oftentimes if we do a lot of sit-ups and stuff like that and get any abdominal pain, that lower abdominal pain is connected to our pelvic floor. I actually didn't know that it was connected to the bowels as well. So I'm kind of like having this <laughs> visual moment in my mind of everything that it's connected to. I would love to start with how people can first feel their pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So whether it's through exercises or maybe they're doing an everyday activity and they might feel it just so we can connect a little bit more deeply to it. Yeah. One of the best ways to connect to our pelvic floors is with breathing. One of the best type of breaths we can take is something that we call diaphragmatic breathing. And what that means is essentially, for example, if right now you were to hold your breath for three and release for four, when you're releasing that breath, what are you doing? You're actually decreasing pressure on your lower abdomen, which is actually causing the release of the pelvic floor. Mm. So one of the best ways to connect that is to connect through deep breathing exercises or boxed breathing as well. The correlation goes one step further because I'll often say, do you ever notice if you're stressed out, you can sometimes pee more frequently and you're like, I'm peeing a little bit more frequently when I'm stressed sure. out. Well, there's that mind-body connection because what's a reaction that we do when we're stressed out? We guard, we clench, like people clench their jaws, can clench your pelvic floor. And that's actually what causes that, I gotta go, I gotta go, mm. I gotta go. Situations like that, I will tell patients to take a deep breath, to actually stop for a second, to visualize their pelvic floors, to take a deep breath in, to hold it for three, and breathe out for four. And just by doing that, the next time that they void, they're going to be able to empty better and they're not going to feel like they have to go all the time. Mm. Yeah, I've noticed I've been correlating kind of like my emotional state with either like, can I poop? Can yeah. I go to the bathroom? It's a really interesting correlation as I think about fear and birth and mm -hmm. how I'm relating that. Yeah. So that's really interesting. You did mention the jaw mm -hmm. and I've read the connection between the pelvic region and your jaw. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So jaw pain or TMJ, which I have myself yeah, same. because I tend to clench a lot if I feel anxious or if I feel stressed. It's the same mechanism that can occur in our pelvic floors. So when you actually take a look at the data, those of us that tend to clench our jaws tend to also clench our pelvic floors. Mm. And it's this neuromuscular response of our bodies, often uncontrolled. Do you know what I mean? So oftentimes we can be the best patients and we can really acknowledge the fact that we're doing this. 
but it's so difficult to reverse the way the nerves and the muscles contract during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. The data suggests that somewhere around 70 to 80% of patients who have TMJ, who have any type of like jaw pain, actually also have pelvic floor dysfunction. Wow. Wow. Because it can manifest so differently. You know what I mean? And if you treat one, will the other... Such a great question. Or (laughs) how does that work? It can often be helpful, but because there are two different areas of the body, we oftentimes have to treat both at the same time. But for a more global effect, like oftentimes if you have TMJ issues, you can also have migraines. Think of it like a headache in the pelvis. So if you tend to contract your pelvic floor a lot, you can have pain. It's like exactly like having a migraine in your pelvic floor. Mm. We got this? Okay, cool. <laughs> I know people are taking notes and having their minds blown. I would love to first talk about pain. So if people are experiencing pain, whether it is during sex or they're experiencing pain, say, when sitting down for long periods of time, what exactly is happening and what could be their next best step? Let's start with sex. Yeah. We have pain with intercourse. It can occur due to a variety of reasons. When it's involving the pelvic floor, I like to explain it like this. Have you ever sat for a long period of time and in a certain way and your like leg will fall asleep? Yes. And then when you wake up, it's like numb and tingling and mm-hmm. you're like, what is happening? The same thing can happen with the pelvic floor when you sit for long periods of time or if you have painful intercourse. The muscles of the pelvic floor spasm. They spasm around capillaries and blood flow. So when you decrease blood flow to that area, you increase things like lactate. When you increase things like lactate, it can actually cause this what we call neuroproliferation for the nerves to start firing Mm. more frequently. And that's that connection there where you're like, why am I feeling pain even though my exam is normal or all these doctors are telling me that there's nothing wrong. Well, it's not something that we see with the naked eye, but it's this kind of like biological thing that's occurring inside of our bodies. Such a sensitive area. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of describe the correlation to the nerves in that part of the body and the inflammation that can occur? Yeah. People don't realize that there's 70% more nerves in that body than in many other areas, right? And so- Even when we're talking about things like placing a speculum during a GYN exam or we don't realize like how many nerves are in that area and why that area can be so sensitive. Wow. And that's why I really love doing things like this and utilizing platforms to like talk about this kind of stuff because as women, we're just told like, take a deep breath in, you're going to be okay, but it can really be uncomfortable. So Yeah, there's 70% more nerve endings in that area. So sometimes what some people may feel is that even when you wear a tampon or put anything specific into the area, you can start to feel a little more discomfort. And that's just something that should be acknowledged if anyone's feeling it, only because that can be a sign that your pelvic floor is actually spasming. So that's one thing to think about. There's this nerve in the area that we call the pudendal nerve, okay? And the pudendal nerve It's one of the largest nerves, and it it kind of occurs right near our butt areas. Okay. And there are three branches of it. The first branch of it is called the dorsal clitoral branch. The second branch is the vaginal branch, and the third branch is the perineal branch. Mm -hmm. With those three branches, you can actually see why you can have symptoms that are vaginal or why you can have symptoms that are rectal or why you can have symptoms that are a little higher up or even sexual, like Mm. clitoral. Okay. In addition, this is 
also why we talk about things like activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So even when I do exams in patients, I'll say wiggle your toes because it helps to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Or let's do a little bit of box breathing because it helps vagal tone. But kind of understanding that and how it relates to this part of the body, whether we're pregnant or not, I think is so key. You mentioned the vaginal uh-huh. perineal, perineal. Mm-hmm. and clitoral mm-hmm. that it can affect. And those would be affected because of pressure or blood flow? Or is that something that is genetic? How can they be affected? So it can be affected by the muscle spasming mm-hmm. because when the muscle spasm, you decrease blood flow to the area. Got so it. the nerves okay. are like fire, fire, something's wrong. It's like our body's natural mechanism to try to let us know that something's happening. But that having been said, it's a great way to put it. It can also be affected by things like Some people are born with more nerves in that area, so we call that neuroproliferation. Some patients will have skin changes because we don't realize that there's actual skin in that area, which can be hormonal. And even by doing that, it can increase inflammation, which can cause firing of the nerves in that area. So there's lots of things to trigger those nerves. It's just understanding how they're all at play. Sure. If someone is having painful sex, you know, I think a lot of people are just told, well, just use like more lube and like, yeah, say a prayer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Are there things that people can be doing in addition to lube? Because I think I do think it is incredibly helpful to support more of a pleasurable experience. Yeah, absolutely. I love utilizing things like yoga in terms of lengthening those muscles. Okay. Because what people don't understand is when the muscles are spasming or short, Yoga helps to lengthen those muscles and give it more blood flow. So I think that's particularly helpful if there's anything going on. I also am a huge fan of lube, so I do think that it's Mm -hmm. helpful. But utilizing it with other things as well can make it even better. This is going to sound a little bit kind of old school, but taking warm baths Mm -hmm. is actually something that's super helpful because warm baths help to release and relax muscles, heat activates that blood flow, and that can really be helpful as well. Okay, great. And then always being open to trying different positions, understanding that there are different things that will pleasure each person differently, and being open to that. Because I often find that because this topic is so stigmatized, it's thought that you can only do things one way, you know? But there's so many different ways to be able to kind of optimize your pleasure. And is that specific to someone or are there certain positions that you feel like mm-hmm. you found are like very optimal for someone that experiences a little bit of pelvic pain? So one of the positions that's usually pretty helpful is sideline position because during where, and then what I mean by that, just to be super clear, is where both partners are lying on their side. Like spooning. It's like spooning. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, number one, it increases oxytocin, right? So you increase <laughs> totally. that bond. And, and it's comfy. And it's comfy. <laughs> it's really comfy. If you're a little tired, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's a great one. <laughs> it's a great lazy girl position for me. <laughs> it's but, been great while pregnant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yes, it's been great while pregnant too mm-hmm. because during that position, your muscles are lengthened. They're released. Okay. Where you're mm-hmm. not doing something more like on all fours or where you're more contracted. This is just where you're more released and relaxed. That's probably one of the best positions. I would say missionary is okay. Missionary is not bad. But oftentimes we do what's called a modified missionary where you can place a pillow, a Mm -hmm. towel right underneath the butt area. Okay. Because what that does is that 
lifts up your pelvic floor, that helps to lengthen the area. Got it. So it gives a little bit more room. Okay, this is good. Because these are, you know, things in the moment that I think, whether you're with a partner that you've been with for a long time or maybe someone new, I can imagine that switching things up, even though in theory we're like, yeah, let's switch it up. Yeah. How often do we actually switch it up and really take this experience into our own hands and take responsibility for it? And I think as women, and this is a generalization, but I think we shy away from that. Yeah. Yeah. This conversation is very empowering to be able to communicate with your partner even beforehand. Yeah. I learned that this position is really incredible for X, Y, and Z. Let's try it. Like just being very proactive about it. Well, it's also utilizing your voice in that moment because we're, and again, not to generalize, but I think we're often taught as women to not talk about what may give us pleasure or to not be proponents of that. So I think to be able to have that with your partner and voice that, it even builds connection there. And it really helps with that. And I can imagine if you're experiencing pelvic pain, especially during sex, there's a shame around that with your partner where it's like, I don't want them to think something's wrong with me or I'm broken. Yeah, exactly. But I just have found the communication piece, especially done outside the bedroom before you're like in the heat of the moment, actually increases the intimacy and actually increases how relaxed you are in the moment. Because you're not just pulling like tricks out of your hat and they're like, what are you doing? Absolutely. Even when I talk to people who are trying to get pregnant, they always ask me like, because I have a lot of patients who have pain. So they always say, if I can just have penetrative intercourse, that's okay, right? Or are my chances of getting pregnant less likely because I'm having like any type of discomfort to the Mm -hmm. area? It's like a common question that I get. Yeah, good question. And so it's interesting because when you take a look at the data, it's not great. But when you take a look at the data, pleasurable intercourse is more beneficial both to kind of like how you were describing with the chakras and the Mm mind-body stuff, but is more beneficial to patients who are trying to conceive. I think personally, from a medical perspective, there's a lot of cortisol involved. And so if you decrease your cortisol because you're having pleasure, then that's often helpful as well. Yes. But it's just such an interesting aspect of it, too, because I think it's important to put those two parts together. I was thinking about that a lot when we were in that process of wanting to conceive. And I have a lot of friends who are in that process as well. And the general like energy around it is this needs to happen. And so I thought about that a lot where you're going into this like really beautiful, sacred connection and act with your partner, but there's like an agenda and there is an intensity and an intention that I think can keep you so in your head. Totally. The whole time. Yeah. Which I can only imagine affects how relaxed you are in that area of your body and how it prevents almost like that flow of energy, for lack of a better word, like where so much needs to happen and go right in order for you to conceive. It's so true. And so I can imagine the stress and that almost like emotional tightness. Yeah can just prevent that from allowing it to happen. That's my non-scientific way of understanding it. But I thought about that a lot in our process. But I think it's such a good way of understanding it. I mean, I grew up in a family where my grandfather was actually an Ayurvedic physician in India. So, you know, I grew up with talking about energy, chakra. It's always been an important part of kind of how I grew up. 
And then I became an allopathic physician where it was all about science and we talk about science and data. But there is all of that does have medical backing and scientific backing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when you describe these things, I think it's like easiest way for everyone to understand that, yeah, it's an energy, but there is actual science behind why we're feeling this way. And then ultimately what physiologic changes we have, whether it's getting pregnant, whether it's even when you have kids, you look at their personalities and some are super secure, right? And like, why are some people so secure and non-attached? And you often think about that, but there's some data in the psych data looking at the type of energy that we put into our bodies during that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could talk about that all day. Keeping with the conversation around sex, I am curious about the correlation between the emotional experience for a woman during sex and her ability to experience pleasure and or the experience of pain. My intention in asking that question is I would love for us to just be aware in the nuance of what might be happening emotionally and how that could be affecting our physical bodies in the moment. Yeah. And whether that might mean just a a self-practice of relaxation or maybe something's off. Yeah. Yeah. In the relationship. So I would love to explore that a little bit and what you've seen in your practice. It's so interesting because there are certain patients who, and we use this term and I'm just going to throw it out so that we can all explain it and dissect it a little more. But there's this term where people will say vaginismus, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is an uncontrollable contraction of the pelvic floor that in certain women can prevent penetrative intercourse. I hate the term because it means nothing. And I think it puts a label on Mm. people who, who just don't deserve it. But that understanding that there can be a neuromuscular change in our bodies that we cannot control when we are either starting to have sex or during sex is really important. And that's why I just bring that up. So to kind of break it down, if someone was experiencing pain with intercourse, what's happening in their bodies? Let's think about it like this. If you already have pain in a certain area, and whether that's because the nerves are firing or the muscles are spasming or the skin is off, what's going to happen to our reflexive response? We're going to guard, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we guard, that further creates what we call muscle hypertonicity. So the muscles start to contract even more. And that process that we described before where we decrease blood flow, that happens even further. So now an act that is thought to be pleasurable is starting to become even more painful as we're moving forward. And what does that do to our brains? We process all types of pain through our prefrontal cortex. And so our prefrontal cortex starts to fire. And when it starts to fire, we start to contract more. And so now the whole process becomes completely, if not impossible, really not what we want, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why I tell patients who say, oh, I have pain with intercourse, but my doctor said if I just keep going and keep trying, it'll go away. There's a mind-body connection there. It almost builds an aversion towards sexual intercourse and intimacy and emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yes. We often use off-label oxytocin in patients as sublingually before intercourse. And oxytocin, as you may or may not know, is the love hormone. So it builds this emotional intimacy, which for a lot of patients who have previously had pain with intercourse is so important to making the act more pleasurable. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. 
So that's something that you recommend sometimes if people are not able to access that emotional piece of the process because they're so caught up in the sensation and then it's kind of this effect. Cycle builds the sensation. Exactly. And it's a raft. It's just a tool to get you to the next part. But oftentimes we have to acknowledge that emotional change because if we don't, patients end up on all types of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications, which are okay if you need them. But if you don't and you can access this area in different ways, it's particularly helpful. Is it helpful? Like, I don't know if there's any research behind this, but is foreplay helpful? Mm -hmm. Before having sex, like, obviously, we kind of know that and also related to the pelvic floor to relax it. Yes, I love that you say that and talk about this all the time. But foreplay is particularly helpful for many reasons. But one of the biggest ones is that it increases blood flow to the area. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. for certain patients who have a lot or people who suffer from really exquisite pain during intercourse, we might recommend saying even you might want to try to manually orgasm before you attempt intercourse, because by orgasming, you're going to increase blood flow to the area. It helps to lengthen the muscles. And then when you have sex Mm -hmm. after that, it's a little more comfortable. Okay. That's a good one. I love that. And there's tons of different medications and other things that you can do. But I think focusing more on understanding like we're doing right now, the physiology behind it, and then utilizing all of these tools that we have that are all these other tools are particularly helpful. So I think it would be helpful for people listening to just kind of as like an observer, maybe play in your mind your typical intimacy scene that you might have with your partner or whoever you're with. Because I think it can happen so fast and it could happen so much on autopilot that we're not actually aware or conscious of the fact that this example of doing a little foreplay, maybe pleasuring yourself before engaging in sex, like these little nuanced shifts in the way that you're approaching it could give you a completely different experience. I know it's probably annoying to think about like planning how you're going to do the next one, but I really think that's what it requires to be conscious of these things that could be affecting and increasing your tension. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's frustration and how you and your partner could ultimately work together on that if you're with a partner. Exactly. And I think even just beginning, I always say this, but it's true. The absence of pain is not pleasure. Number one, viewing sex not just as an act or something that you do for one person in the relationship, but viewing it as intimacy that brings you guys together emotionally, physically, in many different ways. I mean, even if you look at like the tantric scriptures of India, there's energy in this and there's actual health benefits to having good sex. And we know that we mentally, emotionally and physically. And I think it's just a really important thing to think about when you're starting to, for example, plan your session. And for a lot of people that's sitting down before the session and asking themselves, what do I like? Do Do I like, to be quite frank, clitoral stimulation? Do I not like clitoral stimulation? You don't have to like it one way or the other. Do I like penetrative intercourse or do I not like penetrative intercourse? Because just somewhat coming up with kind of like your own viewpoints towards it is empowering, but then also leads you to having better intersex. And then be able to communicate it a little bit more clearly with a partner. Yeah.
Okay, this app has been with me through seasons of wanting to prevent pregnancy and also get pregnant. The app is Natural Cycles. It is a leading women's health company that they created the world's first FDA-cleared birth control app. So the app's algorithm uses hormone-driven changes in body temperature to let users know when they're fertile and not fertile. It is so easy, y'all. Every single morning I wake up, I have the uh, thermometer on my bedside table, and then I take my temperature, I input the temperature into the app, and boom, there you go. Um, It is 93% effective with typical use and 98% effective with perfect use. It's pretty incredible. Um, I know a lot of people are just thinking about their birth control. Uh, A lot of people are going off hormonal birth control. This is an incredible incredible, incredible option for you. I've been using it for a couple years now. Um, and again, it is so easy. So the algorithm uses the body temperature to determine where a user is at in their cycle. The more they measure, the more data it will have. Um, and if you have an aura ring, by the way, it syncs with your aura ring and it'll take your temperature automatically. Pretty cool. You can trust Natural Cycles for the past 10 years. They have been setting the precedent for non-hormonal and non-invasive birth control without sacrificing effectiveness. They were the first to introduce a birth control app, the first to receive FDA clearance as a birth control app, and the first birth control app to integrate with that wearable device, the Aura Ring. They're the best. I'm excited for you all. Listen, as our listener, you are going to get a discount plus a free thermometer, baby. Use code almost 30 at naturalcycles.com to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer. That's naturalcycles.com. You're going to use the code almost 30 to get 15% off an annual membership and a free thermometer. Oh, y'all, I am wearing my shorts and my skirts and my dresses and my legs are out and I'm just so excited about it because I have my Osea Andaria Algae Body Oil and it is keeping me glowing. <laughs> it's making my legs and my arms look just so fresh, so alive, to be honest, and so young. Um, I love this product. It is from Osea Malibu. They just know what they're doing over there. They've been doing it for over 28 years. Skincare is their jam. It's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and is clinically proven, okay? It's infused with seaweed, which is the star of the show here, and I just love the products. They really work. So the body oil is so rich, but it's never greasy, Okay, and it's clinically proven to improve skin elasticity immediately. It's visibly firming your skin and makes the skin feel more sculpted and toned, which we love. It's so amazing. Overnight, you can do this during the day or overnight. I do it overnight, but I love the Andaria Algae Body Butter because I would just wake up so insanely moisturized. It's indulgent and it's really great for crepey skin. I'll put it on my knees and my elbows and anywhere that's like kind of dry. It's clinically proven to hydrate for 72 hours. It just transforms the skin. You're going to be obsessed. And then finally, the anti aging body balm. Yo. I mean, hello, silky lotion serum. It just melts into my skin. I feel like it lifts and tightens and tones all over. I'm obsessed. Perfect for summer, baby. So glow from the inside out with clean vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code A30POD at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order. They're so good about that. And free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code A30POD, A30POD for 10% off.
I'd love to move to the perineum. Is that how you yes, say it? that's great. I've like not I pronounced it, it correctly <laughs> this entire pregnancy, <laughs> but I'm getting there. I'm preparing to go into the part of the third trimester where we're going to be doing our daily massages. Yeah, um, I love it. <laughs> it's a very European way of approaching, which I love that mm-hmm. you're doing. My husband's like, wait, every day? You can do it yourself. You can have your partner do it. Exactly. But I guess, where is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why is it important to kind of work with this part of the body related to the pelvic floor? Because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So perineal massage is something that's been around for forever. And unfortunately, in our country. In terms of women's health care, we're not proponents of things like this, which are preventative. And there's data for it in terms of preventing things like large tears during if you have vaginal childbirth. But then also to keeping that tissue healthy, okay? Because we have tons of hormonal changes during pregnancy that can alter how the hormones affect the vaginal area. So I just want to briefly say that before we get into what is the perineum. So the perineum is the area between the vagina and the rectum, and it is composed of muscle, nerves, and epithelial tissue like our skin. Mm -hmm. Perineal massage is something that many OBs will recommend, but like I said, it's also a very kind of European Canadian way because in America, we worry so much about stimulating labor and that kind of thing. But Although I laugh, but (laughs) I get it. But I do think that's definitely something I've experienced with various doctors where they're like, just be careful. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And for what I do, especially when my patients get pregnant, I always recommend perineal massage Mm -hmm. because we know those muscles have tightened and they have a history of tightening. One of the things that you can do, and it sounds very interesting, but is you or your partner can actually take a finger and place it inside of the vaginal area, really pressing down on the perineum. And by doing so, it stimulates collagen production in the tissue just in terms of what it does mechanically. But then it also relaxes the muscles right in that area. So you know those muscles are going to be stretched when you have a vaginal birth. So it actually is preventative for any type of third or fourth degree lacerations when done a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great tool that we have. And would you recommend this not only for people who are going to give birth, but for people who just want to experience a bit more release and relaxation in that area? Absolutely. I recommend it for people who have pain with intercourse, especially pain with initial penetration. Mm. And that's one of the most common things that I hear is that I have pain with sex, but I have a lot of pain with initial penetration. Once we're in, it's okay and I can start to feel good. But when we're trying to get in, oof, that part really just causes me discomfort. And so perineal massage and that what we call desensitization, and it's not that it's completely numbing the area or anything like that, but it's just creating this mind-body connection between touch and that area to be more comfortable. Yes. I was trying to explain that to my husband. (laughs) (laughs) How did he do with that? (laughs) Where I was like, I, I think there are parts of our body, and this is different for everyone, where either we haven't explored it that much or we haven't had someone else explore it that much. And so any exploration of it, it's like tickles yeah. or it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think he gets it, but I was like, I'm not used to even going back a little further yeah. to like the anus where I'm like, oh, this is like a spot yes. that's not as touched as often. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's a little like... I just have that mental 
disconnection and also no practice in that area. Yes. It's so interesting that you brought up the rectal stuff Mm -hmm. because I see this so much and I talk about it a lot. And by the way, everyone's pregnancies are different. So this is in no way like medical advice. It's just stuff we're talking about, you know? (laughs) But I, you know, we'll get all these phone calls of people trying it. Try it when your doctor says that it's okay. But in terms of the the rectum, it is very much associated with vaginal discomfort or pain or the pelvic floor, okay? Mm -hmm. And I will ask people when they describe their symptoms, I'll say, will you ever notice if you were constipated that your symptoms get worse? And they'll say, yeah. And it's because those muscles actually are the same muscles that are surrounding our bladders and our Mm. uterus as we're talking about. One other thing that a lot of people will notice when they're pregnant or even when they're not is that if they're constipated, they feel like they have to pee more because there's more of a pressure in that area. Sure. So perineal massage is super helpful also because that rectal area and that area between the rectum and the vagina controls not just how we poop, but how we pee and how we sit and how we have intercourse. I'm so fascinated (laughs) by that whole area of the body now. And thankfully I'm able to do so shamelessly, I think because I'm pregnant. Just the more that we talk, I'm like, oh, this exploration of these areas of the body, I think for women are going to liberate us in ways that we don't even expect. Yeah. It could help you and support you in being more truthful and honest and expressive yeah. in your relationships. There's these weird correlations that I find with my own physical exploration mm-hmm. that correlate to like my everyday life in relationships and people. So just wanted to remind people, if you're like, I'm turning this off too much rectal talk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> everything's connected. Everything's so I'm really connected. I'm really, really glad we're going there. We'll step away from sex for a moment. If there are everyday habits, things that women just do out of habit that could be compromising her pelvic floor health. Yes. First one, sitting for long periods of time. Yes. I did that yesterday and it made me so sad. I was like, I'm unwell. (laughs) Totally. And and you wonder why during COVID, a lot of people experienced Mm -hmm. symptoms both mentally and physically, but sitting for long periods of time is probably one of the worst things we can do for our pelvic floor because what it does is that it causes the steady state of the muscles to become more hypertonic. We are just shortened. Ultimately, it can also affect your posture, back pain, but that's one of the simplest things. I will always tell people, get a standing desk. Find a way to stand a little bit more during the day. Take 15-minute breaks during your day. Go for a nice walk outside. Mm -hmm. Get some fresh air. I mean, vitamin D, all of that has other benefits to it. But even just standing up and lengthening your muscles will be so beneficial. Okay. So that's one thing that we do in everyday life as sedentary society that can be done a lot better. And just on that piece of sitting down, if we have to sit down. Yeah. Is there a proper way to sit down? Yes. So when you're sitting, and like I'm sitting right now, I know is not, like, is not like, how you want to be sitting. Crisscross applesauce, like we learn in yeah, elementary yeah. school, is not a great way to sit. It's a fine way to sit for short periods of time. It's not a great way to sit if you're sitting like that for hours on end. Okay. So if you're sitting like that, because what you're doing is you're going to contract that pelvic floor a little bit more. So, you know, even when we meditate, you can meditate with your legs crossed. You can meditate like this. You, you can really meditate and that you want to. But one of the biggest things that we're doing when 
asking is trying to access that parasympathetic vagal system. That posture helps to do that. Got it. We're working with a doula and doing hypnobirthing and just, yeah, the way in which, especially in third trimester, I'm sitting. Yeah. Just for not only pelvic floor health, but like optimal position of baby. I've just been like very aware because the comfortable way to sit for most people is like reclined back, slouching. It's like a C shape of your body. And some days I'm like, oh God, I just want (laughs) to, I just want to C shape. But I've been hyper, hyper aware of my posture related to that. That's an incredible one because I think a lot of us have to sit at some point during the day. Yeah. Is sitting on like a big exercise ball helpful? It is. Okay. Actually. Okay. I actually did that at my third trimester. In between patients, even when patients came into my office, I would sit on the ball and talk oh, that's to them nice. on the ball. <laughs> I do feel like there's benefit to it. One other benefit to it is that it helps to relax the perineum, similar to perineal massage, because, you know, it's touching that ball. And when you're kind of moving around on it, you're helping to release that area. Okay. There are other things that are probably not great for us that we do in everyday life, aside from sitting from long periods of time. And while they seem somewhat generic, I think understanding that relationship to our pelvic floors can help us develop better habits. So things like being constipated, like the intake that we have eating a lot of processed foods and not enough fiber, becoming constipated can actually wreak havoc on our pelvic floors. My son, he was very constipated and I noticed that he kept peeing. Like he would go to, he would go to the bathroom, he'd pee for a second, he'd come back out, he'd, you know, do whatever he was doing, go back to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, he must have a UTI. Something must be wrong. Sure. So I called the urologist and I brought him in and the urologist kind of laughed at me and was like, this is your specialty. And I'm like, yes, but he was very constipated and the constipation was actually affecting how he was urinating. Wow. But that's just a huge takeaway. Things like magnesium supplements, I think are super helpful. Magnesium has so many great effects to it, but understanding the differences between mag oxide versus citrate and glycinate and how our bodies metabolize these drugs are really important. What would be your recommendation? I like, depending on what we're using it for. So Mm -hmm. for me, for example, someone like me, I have trouble sleeping sometimes. I get Mm -hmm. restless legs. I'm like a little bit up from the day, anxious a little. So I like magnesium citrate for me. I think it works better. I poop every morning because it helps me poop, but then it also helps me get rest at night. For other patients who may notice that citrate isn't working for them, mag oxide is better for constipation for certain patients who have refractory to mag citrate. So that's another thing Mm -hmm. to kind of look at. If you're having migraines and things like that, I will often recommend magnesium glycinate just because we metabolize that drug a little bit more differently. It's a little more readily available through the gut. I think looking at yourself and kind of thinking about what's going on, but magnesium is a great supplement that we don't extract out of foods like we used do supplementing with it, I think is super helpful. Yeah, it's been so, I've been taking it for years and years and years. Krista and I always say like, it's, yeah, it's kind of our, our number one supplement and especially being pregnant, you're prone to constipation. I've only experienced constipation twice while pregnant because I've been taking magnesium. Yeah. So that's been super, super crucial. I'm curious about urination habits and how that can affect the pelvic floor. Have you ever heard of someone saying, I have a shy bladder? If I go out, I just, Mm -hmm. it takes me a very long time to start a stream and I can't pee. That shy bladder is actually a shy pelvic floor. So what happens during those times is not that your bladder is having difficulty spasming and and Mm -hmm. evacuating. 
it's that your bladder is spasming, but your pelvic floor is contracting around your bladder. So your bladder contracts, your pelvic floor contracts, you're not able to completely empty. Mm. So that's absolutely something that we can alter with things like breathing exercises, things like that mind-body connection that's super key. A lot of patients with pelvic floor changes can have symptoms of urinary frequency, what we call persistent urgency, that feeling of like, I just peak, but I always got to go. And for some patients, they can actually have some pain or discomfort when their bladder fills. We want to recognize that because certain foods can actually alter how we feel urologically. Things like tomatoes, spicy foods, caffeine, they're all bladder irritants. Yes, Mm, acidic. Okay. And bladder irritants. And so when the bladder is irritated and you have the pelvic floor involved, you can definitely feel pelvic floor issues in your bladder. Mm. What about sparkling water? Random question, but I feel like I've heard that too. Yeah, sparkling water can for some patients. Okay. Hopefully it's not me because yeah. I love sparkling water. <laughs> I do too. I do too. <laughs> That's also where like this whole alkaline movement has mm. kind of comes from, you know? For patients who have a lot of what I call dietary triggers, so they say, if I ingest coffee, spicy foods, acidic foods, sparkling water or wine. You can actually do things like take some alkaline water before you ingest a trigger food to see if it normalizes the pH of the bladder that helps the trigger not activate the bladder so much. Okay. What about pushing? So whether it's pooping. Yes. And I think sometimes we like not consciously, but if we have to pee really bad and then we get on the toilet, we're like, there's kind of this push to the stream. Yes. What is that doing? Do not push. Love that question. That's such a great point. Do not push. Do not kegel if you don't need to kegel, but definitely do not push. When you push strain to void or to poop, you are putting pressure on your pelvic floor muscles. You are causing them to spasm more and you are actually causing yourself to cycle. Your symptoms will get worse the next Mm. time around because their steady state is basically increasing. When you sit down to pee, I will always tell people, you want to relax. So I always recommend the breathing because I think I do it myself. I think it's super helpful. I also like squatty potties, which we can get into later too. But even if you need to distract and if you need to get on your phone for a second so that you are consciously, intentionally not pushing and you're just releasing to void or to poop, Mm -hmm. it's really important and will be life altering. I've been learning that while pregnant. I've been using like my birth breathing to go to the bathroom. Good. And it's been so interesting because, and I wasn't like a pusher before. Yeah. I'm quite regular and it's a healthy poop, but it's been interesting to notice the breath creates this like allowing of whatever muscles I, I don't know. And you can specify for us to actually work properly. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. it almost feels like a natural reflex of the body or expulsion to expel it from your body, just like a birth yeah. reflex when yeah. the baby is expelled from the body. So I've just been finding it so interesting where, you know, we're on the toilet, we got to go and maybe we're a little frustrated. Yeah. And so we push, we push, we push. Yes. And it's really creating this opposite effect. Yes. So, yeah. I love that. It's so interesting because pee. And pooping are two of the only things in our bodies that are both voluntary and involuntary, meaning like our brain's sensation is not voluntary, right? We don't 
control that sure. when our, our brains tell our body that. But it's also voluntary in the sense that if you don't have a bathroom and you got to go, you're going to be able to hold it, right? And that in and of itself, I think also is important when you're thinking about how you pee or how you poop or how you just go to the bathroom in general. Because when you're sitting down, if your mind is like contracted up, it's going to be harder to release. Yes. But it's so important to do that breathing that you're talking about for all of us. And when you're pregnant, it's just even more, I think, pronounced simply because you have so much more pressure on your pelvic floor from carrying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. You mentioned not doing Kegels. Yeah. If you don't have to, why? Kegels have the best PR agent. And literally, like, I was going to say, I'm like, there was a moment yes. where everybody was like, are you doing your Kegels? Are you doing your Kegels? I don't know if I'm doing a Kegel right if I've ever done a Kegel. Do right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, they used to say if you were sitting on a stoplight, you should be doing like 100 Kegels or like oh, well, in well. commercials or whatever. <laughs> Kegels have the best PR agent because what are Kegels? So Kegels are essentially contracting your lower pelvic floor muscles. So the muscles that are involved that you were kind of talking about before to step back to that, 
the pubococcygeus and the puborectalis. Okay. But the pubococcygeus is really what controls that bladder-based symptom with your pelvic floor. Got it. And that's really what you want to release. It's a muscle, specific muscle called the compressor urethrae, which surrounds the urethra, which helps us empty. Mm. But getting back to Kegels. So Kegels, I would say, are not something that you need to do unless you have incontinence. Incontinence is when we can leak urine. So if you're not leaking urine regularly and your pelvic floor is functioning as it should, do not do Kegels because it will increase your risk of developing things like pelvic floor dysfunction. And there's zero benefit to it. You're not strengthening your pelvic floor by any other means. That makes complete sense. The incontinence some people experience during pregnancy because of the increased pressure do they have to do Kegels or is it just, it is what it is? It really depends on how bad it is. Okay. And because we have more pressure in the area, can we have certain episodes of saying, oh, I think that that happened. Sure. If it's few and far between, you know, you might want to strengthen in a different way. Okay. But if it's more consistent, then Kegels might be necessary, but doing Kegels correctly. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so when I teach patients how to do Kegels, I actually send to a pelvic floor physical therapist because we are not cognizant of which muscles we're contracting in general, you know what I mean? And so pelvic floor physical therapists will often do something known as biofeedback where they show you, they actually, and this is not to be done all the time, but once in a while to put electrodes in the area to show you which muscles contract when you pee and poop. And then you're more conscious of that mind-body connection and how to release. Okay. So that's a really good way to do it. This is going to change people's lives. I feel like bathroom stuff yeah. is also kind of a shame point for people where they're not going to talk about it. They just kind of want to fix it quietly or try to figure out how to fix it on their own quietly. So this is great. The squatty potty. Yes. Love it. You love it too. I love, love it. it. I have it in every single bathroom. I have to I figure have. out how to, because it's great for like early labor. Yes. To just sit on the toilet because that's where yeah. Relax. Yes. Kind of open up a little bit. So how to do kind of the reverse. Yeah, squatty yes. Squatty body. Yes. But just putting your legs up That's during true. pooping or peeing actually changes the angle of your urethra and your colon, which helps to evacuate easily. You know what I mean? So is it knees at a certain level? If people don't have a squatty potty, can yeah. they just do like yoga blocks or a little toilet paper? It, absolutely. Things? Okay. Absolutely. And because even when you're utilizing a squatty potty, not everyone in my house is the same height. You know what I mean? So I always just recommend like knees basically, I would say a foot from the ground. Uh-huh. You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, that's like, that's something that I didn't believe worked until I tried it. And I was like, oh, Lord, like <laughs> we're missing out if we don't have a squatty potty. So it's a great, great little investment. We touched on nutrition a little bit, the acidic foods and just the pH and how that affects the pelvic floor. Is there anything else with nutrition that we can be aware of how we're nourishing our bodies to just create a really healthy pelvic floor and or what else could be affecting it? I'm curious about alcohol, things like that. Yeah. First and foremost, like we're kind of been saying for a while, our bodies are all connected. And I am a huge believer in inflammation playing a role in our pelvic floor. The reason being that even when we talk about defining pelvic floor dysfunction as doctors or clinicians, what we're talking about are basic areas of the muscle that are banded and contracted. And if you were to biopsy that area, 
that area is composed of things like lactic acid, nitrous oxide, ATP, all inflammatory cytokines in our body. So if we are eating things that are super inflammatory, we are absolutely going to increase inflammation in our pelvic floors, increase banding, increase pelvic floor dysfunction. And I can say that wholeheartedly and I believe it. And so I often tell patients, decrease the processed foods because there's not much we can do aside from like in terms of like processed foods and inflammation. It's just kind of in our society. Mm -hmm. But things like alcohol can play a role in our pelvic floor, number one, because it's a bladder irritant, but number two, because it stimulates something known as ADH, which is antidiuretic hormone. So when that's stimulated, you're going to feel like you have to pee a lot more frequently. Right. And for someone who may have an increase in inflammation in the pelvic floor combined with alcohol being very inflammatory in general, but then also stimulating ADH and stimulating the irritant of the bladder, you're going to feel those symptoms way more, yeah. you know? I mean, people joke about like breaking the seal when yes. they're out and then yes. having to pee so yes. much and all of that. Yes. And then I would notice when I was drinking a lot when I was younger, like the next day I would be incredibly constipated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the hydration. Dehydration. Absolutely. And that's also why you can have the headaches and the feeling of fatigue and total discomfort. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely dehydrates you, which can increase your constipation, then increase contraction of your pelvic floor. So you see how you're consistently just cycling through this process. Totally. You know, it could be overwhelming to think about how all of this is connected, but all of it is connected. It really is. It's all (laughs) connected. And it's all, you know, even when we talk about like you see a lot of athletes, right? They can oftentimes say, well, I'm so athletic. Why do I have issues with my pelvic floor? Well, you don't realize where you're holding tension and how your body compensates. So these are often lifelong things that you've been doing in terms of posture, in terms of hip mobilization. And I just think it's important to think about that kind of stuff because it's so relevant to our everyday lives. Yes. And sometimes the first time that we even only think about it is, is if we're pregnant or if we're having sex or even. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is men can have this too, by the way. I know I was going to ask that. I think it's important to talk about that. And it can present itself as issues with sitting. It can present itself with pain. It can also present itself with erectile issues. Mm. Say more about that. If men who have pelvic floor dysfunction exhibit something that we call erectile dyssynergia, which means that when the pelvic floor contracts, you decrease blood flow to the prostate and to the muscles that control erection. When you decrease blood flow to that area, you can have what we call hard flaccid, where men can become hard, but they can't stay hard. Mm -hmm. And this is important to note because this happens to a lot of men who are not older. You see what I'm saying? And so then that can often increase, again, the stigmatization because they say, I'm in my 20s. Sure. I should be having the best sex of my life. And here I am unable to you know, some people will say, keep it up. And it's because of issues with the pelvic floor. So it's anatomical to both men, women, everyone. Would you generally recommend kind of the same, whether it's practices, exercises, nutrition recommendations for men as well? Or is it a little bit different because of the anatomy? So it's very similar in Mm -hmm. terms of exercises, yoga, pelvic floor, PT, releasing those muscles. Okay. The difference is that men to be quite clear, only have one orifice down there, you know? I find in men, it is more 
often localized to rectal symptoms or or erectile symptoms. So they present a little bit differently. Okay. Men too will often not seek care for long periods of time. You don't say. Yeah. (laughs) So there's tons of data in men suffering for, Mm. you know, even women, but men suffering for 20 to 30 years before actually seeking care. Yeah. I hope that's especially with like our generation of men. I don't know if we have the influence on them or what, but <laughs> I feel like I'm probably like the annoying wife being like, we need to go to the doctor. Cause I feel like my dad didn't go to the doctor for like 20 years. Oh my gosh. You know? I know. I don't even know if my dad still goes. Yeah. I don't. Like- <laughs> oh. And I get it there. I think there's also like a, a fear yeah. too. after a while when you haven't been like, I haven't been to the dermatologist in a second. And yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I'm kind of scared. Yeah. Like I should yeah. go. Yeah. Then you will often just not make the appointment because you don't want to deal with that. I do that too. I actually haven't been to the dermatologist and now I'm like, it's summer. I wanted to talk about the connection to our menstrual cycles Mm -hmm. as women and Mm -hmm. our pelvic floor, because I don't know if there's confusion around the pain you experience in when you get your menstrual cycle. Is that correlated to the pelvic floor? Is it completely different? What's happening? So pain with periods is first of all, way too normalized. However, that having been said, we can also, there are some people who experience really exquisite pain with periods. And in that sense, we always want to make sure that there's nothing else going on. Sure. And if there is something else going on, part of that could be stuff that we call like endometriosis, where there's tissue similar to the endometrial lining that grows outside of the uterus that can really present itself as painful periods, painful sex, difficulties getting pregnant. But that can affect our pelvic floor because, again, with endometriosis, there's an increase in inflammation and that can harbor itself within the pelvic floor. In addition, if you're having very painful periods, what are you doing when you have to kind of sit down or go to the bathroom? You're clenching more. And so they would say 80% of patients with endometriosis actually have concomitant pelvic floor dysfunction. Hmm. A very common symptom that people will describe is they'll say, I get a lot of pain with my period, but I also notice right before I get my period or when I'm ovulating, my symptoms worsen. There's this fallacy that that's due to the hormones and adding hormones or changing hormones is the answer. This is oftentimes, yes, there's a change in hormones, but that change in hormones actually changes inflammatory cytokines. And that's what triggers this discomfort. Okay. So it's a natural part of the cycle. There's nothing to do about it. It just kind of is and to be aware of. There's stuff we can do depending on the level that there's at. Got it. So I think that if it's something that is affecting you at every cycle, for sure, aside from doing things like heating pads and ibuprofen, there are other types of anti-inflammatories that are stronger that we can give patients. There's other types of suppositories. And sometimes there are hormones that we can add to the mix. With that having been said too, Birth control pills are not the only answer. Our audience is, I I think they're birth control curious as far as going off the pill. (laughs) A lot of them have gone off the pill. We we promote doing what is best for you a thousand million percent. But we are now just a little bit more conscious Mm -hmm. to how birth control could have been affecting us mentally, emotionally, physically, cognitively. So I think... (laughs) People might see Krista and I be like, they're high alert on birth control and feel a type of way from our own experience. Yes, but do what's best for you. But I'm curious your thoughts on that correlating to the pelvic floor, if it does. It it actually 
can very much affect our vulvas Mm. and our vestibules. And this is stuff that general GYNs often don't discuss, and I really think it's important. So while birth control can have its benefits, it can also have a lot of side effects. And like you said, some of those side effects can be how we feel, mental, emotional. But in a certain proportion of patients who are, for whatever reason, more genetically predisposed, the way birth control works is by suppressing hormones so that you don't ovulate. But by doing so, what it does is it increases something known as sex hormone binding globulin. When we increase sex hormone binding globulin, guess what we do to free testosterone? We decrease it. What people don't realize also is that embryologically, our vulvas are analogous to the prostate in men, okay? And so there are actually testosterone receptors in our vulvas. And so when that mechanism occurs in a certain proportion of patients, being on long-term birth control can actually cause pain with sex. I hadn't heard that before. Yep. And so we it's a term that we call for anyone who wants to Google it. It's called hormonally mediated vestibulodynia. And it's essentially long-term birth control use in the form of OCPs can affect our localized hormones in our vaginas. And by affecting those localized hormones in our vaginas, they can actually mimic a postmenopausal state and cause painful intercourse. Is it reversible or treatable? It's reversible and treatable in the sense that you would have to stop the birth control, but then as we also give localized hormones to rebuild the hormones in that area. Okay. So for a lot of patients, it's a tough pill to swallow, literally, because then you also don't want to trade one problem in for another. But it's definitely something I think we have to bring to light because I have so many people sitting in my office that will say, I had painful periods. I got on the pill and I've noticed all these changes, but my doctor says that can't happen with the pill. So I'm, I've been on this pill for 10 years and I'm coming to you to seek advice. There's parts where it's beneficial, but there's also parts where we have to look at how these things are really affecting our bodies. Sure. And it can, it really can affect our pelvic floors and our vaginas more, more often than not, at least for what I see in my clinical practice. Wow. Have you gotten any pushback or anything related to birth control, just wanting to have a more honest and holistic picture of how it's affecting people? Yes. Even as I say this, I just like in my head replay because there's a ton of people and generalists who will say that's not true and there's so many benefits to it. And that's why I say, yes, there can be benefits to it in the right patient, but birth control is not for every patient. And There, like everything in medicine, there's a risk-benefit profile, and we have to be more honest and clear about the risk instead of just be proponents of a one-way street. And I think that's the hardest pill for me to swallow is when I see clinicians and other doctors put down doctors like myself who are like, wait, let's just look at the whole picture because they try to say, oh, then you're not scientific. I'm reading all the data. You can see my medical school. I went to Mm -hmm. medical school in Virginia. I went to Cornell for my residency. I'm not dumb. But at the same time, I'm just more honest about what I think we need to be more open about in terms of things like birth control and its chronic usage. I mean, it's one of the only pills that people are on for 10 to 15 years of their life. I was on it for 10. Yeah. Or nine or 10. Yeah. If you ever brought up issues, I'm confident that the people around you were like, it's not that, it's something else. And you're like placed on other stuff to treat something that was caused by something. I was never told or educated about any of the possible side effects. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I didn't experience anything super extreme. 
which might be better or worse because I'm sure it was affecting me in ways that were a bit more subtle, but like maybe long-term. But I just remember that. I remember it feeling like a rite of passage as a woman. I'm like, on birth control now. Right. I'm a woman. Like that's you know so I mean? true. There's like this social construct. I did yeah. too. I was on it for probably 12 years. Yeah. I s- would switch off of different kinds thinking sure. that like if I did that, I would somehow, it would somehow change how I was feeling, whether it was like more sullen or like changes in what I felt. But I often noticed that it wasn't that. And it occurs in other forms of birth control too, right? So even IUDs yeah. and IUD placement, we act like IUD placement is nothing. Like it's like, oh, I'm going to put a sharp object on your cervix and insert something and here's some Tylenol. It's for Mary. I've never had it, but I've heard many a story it's, of just the pain and almost like the traumatic experience. It's yeah. And I feel like that's another thing as doctors, we could be better at pain control if we're going to be doing something like that. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And understand that how many, I just, we talked about how many nerve endings are in that area. And then we're like, here's some Tylenol. It's barbaric, you know? That brings me to the last thing I wanted to discuss was trauma in the pelvic floor area. And I can imagine there's just so many, so many ways in which that can happen. Some more obvious than others. Can you speak to what you're seeing in patients as far as trauma and just how we can begin to treat it, you know, on both an emotional and physical level? I'll start by saying that when most people come into my office, they're often told by other clinicians that any type of discomfort is because of whatever past trauma they had. And that is not true in the sense that there are many patients who can have pelvic floor issues, vaginal issues, and have no history of sexual trauma. And I'm putting that in parentheses because what does that even mean? That having been said, there is a neuromuscular response in our bodies if we've had any type of trauma to the area, I mean, whether that's forced sexual intercourse, whether that's even trauma from unintentional clinicians placing a speculum to the area, whether that's trauma from being on long-term birth control, having painful sex, causing micro tears, and then increasing trauma. Mm-hmm. So I think number one, defining trauma as like a spectrum of things is really important, but not pigeonholing patients into feeling like if they're experiencing this, then they must have had some sort of trauma and it must be in their head. And there's that is just really important to unravel. Yeah, there. We're explaining that. That's super important. And I think part of the problem with any type of discomfort or prior trauma to the area is that it cycles. It causes a cycle. And so there is an aversion that our bodies will have to anything being touched in the area. There's also nerves that can regrow in the area and that can fire more frequently. So then what what, what one person may just experience as a normal touch for someone with a history of trauma will feel so much more severe and uncomfortable. And there are things that we can do though. And that's what I want to make super clear. I mean, obviously we have to work with the right patient. We have to work with oftentimes a great therapist, just like talking through these emotions, but then we have to kind of help to break that mind-body connection, meaning that if someone's going to touch that area and you have a history of pain in that area that we can break that cycle of the area contracting or you feeling physiologically uncomfortable. Sure. Yep. 
but it's definitely a hard thing to do. And there's a huge emotional and mental component to it that have to be addressed at the same time. If we don't do it all together as one, the symptoms can come back in a different way at a later time. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the most difficult part. Sure. I have a few friends that had kind of more traumatic birth experiences and how the inclination to treat it physically is like pretty quick. Mm -hmm. They're like, I'm going to go to a specialist and we're going to do the exercises and we're going to fix it up. Yeah. And then not really necessarily turning to the emotional piece, that experience of whether it's the intense pain of your birth turning out completely differently than you had hoped, not being able to hold your baby right, whatever it yeah. is, just to to hit home your point of just treating the whole body when it comes to yeah. these more traumatic experiences. And it's like that that phrase, the body keeps score, yes. you know? So like our bodies do keep score. Absolutely. And, and just like you're saying, we have to address these more from a root cause perspective. Like, yes, we don't want to mask these with just meds and whatever else, and then not fully delve deep into what may be triggering this cycle as a whole. Yeah. This has been so good. I am so thankful. This has been chock full of information (laughs) that I feel like what I, I describe as like, I'll never forget it. You know, you hear things that you really will never forget. And I think a lot of people will change the way they are approaching sex, they're going to the bathroom, the way in which they engage with their pelvic floor. And it was really clear to me why it is so important. And I'm just really thankful that this is your this is your calling in life. You thank know, you. it's truly a gift. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And thank you for being so open to a conversation that many people are not, because I feel like that in and of itself, if even helps one person, then you've helped a million because It's a tough conversation to have, and you made it so intentional and easy, and I appreciate that. So thanks. So welcome. How can people connect with you? You can find me online. Mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram at Pelvic Pain Doc. My website is www.pelvicpaindoc.com, and I have a new book out. So if you wanted to access Tell us about the book. It's called Dr. Sonia's Guide to Navigating Pelvic Pain. It is a holistic view on this, just like we kind of talked about today. So it's not just meds, but for patients who are interested in meds, we talk about that. Mm -hmm. It's not just supplements, but for patients who are interested in supplements, we talk about that. And then we go through full exercises and other things we can do. So it's amazing. My love. (laughs) I have like my stacks of books next to my bed. So right now I'm kind of in that season of just like learning about the body. And it's like so fascinating. I'm like, when I was in biology class or anatomy class, I was not this interested. I am so interested now, finally. (laughs) I feel like the body is so cool. It's like, yeah, it's so cool. Well, thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much, Dr. Sonia. You can learn more about Dr. Sonia's work at pelvicpaindoc.com. Follow her on Instagram at pelvicpaindoc. And thank you so much for following us on Instagram and TikTok. We're doing our thing on there at Almost 30 Podcast. We've got some viral TikToks that are fire. Yeah, the comments keep coming in and then I sometimes want them to stop. Don't look it up. It's crazy sometimes. They're like, well, my mom, I had this lady that I knew that one time she was a narcissist and she said one time that she was this and I didn't think anything about that. But then I moved on. It's like, dear diary. It's crazy. It's literally one TikTok and it's literally Dear Diary. So yes, TikTok is popping off. You can connect with Lindsay and I. Connect with Lindsay Simsick. It's at Lindsay Simsick and I'm at It's Krista. It's I-T-S-K-R-I-S-T-A. 
Again, thanks for sharing with a friend. Thanks for being a part of our lives and community. We love you so much. Thank you to all of our partners. You mean the world to us. We will see you on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye.